Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Today, our guest is Danny Newberry from the Value Investment Group. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I am a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy multifamily real estate with passive investors. I invest in self-storage and I am a busy professional. I love what I do. I love talking about investing. I've been investing in various companies and, and et cetera since I had two nickels to rub together and I love sharing what I've learned with others and learning more myself. There's a lot of joy in that and I hope you're gonna learn a lot today. Danny Newberry is gonna teach you about retail real estate investing, which is very interesting because we get in this mode, everybody is in this mode these days of Amazon is destroying retail and we see these effects all over the place, but guys like Danny are making incredible returns still with retail because there still is a lot of demand for retail real estate, but it's shifting. Uh, so Danny's going to teach us about his strategy today and what he does to earn fantastic returns in retail. We also talk about industrial real estate investing, which I, again, I find fascinating. We, we learned that uh, industrial is one of the best performing uh, asset classes out there for, and for reasons that we get into and the, uh, the strategies that you can implement uh, if you want to get into either one of those. Uh, we, I asked the, the critical question of Danny, if, if someone is new to either one of these businesses, what should they do? What should you do to get into the business? What's your best advice? So we get into that today on this episode of Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Without any further ado, here we go with Danny Newberry from the Value Investment Group. Danny, thank you for joining us. Hey, I appreciate it, Taylor. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a lot of fun. Great topic. I mean, uh, you know, the, we could talk for hours, I'm sure, about each one of these. I first wanted to dig into shopping centers and, and what you like about them compared to, say, uh, apartments where, you know, we, we know that people are always going to need a place to live, but and with Amazon and everything, are they always going to need a place to shop? So, you know, let's dive into it. What do you think? Absolutely. I get that question a lot. So um, I'll, I'll just start out by saying I did start out in the single family, multifamily world. Um, when I first got started, I scaled up to a couple hundred units. So I had apartments from like fourplexes all the way up to 138 unit apartment complex wow. and everything in between. So um, I owned in three states. Uh, it was Utah, Vegas, and Oklahoma that I owned all this multifamily. And my ultimate goal at that time, that point in time in my life, was I wanted to, you know, build a portfolio of uh, a couple thousand apartment units to manage and, and hold for cash flow. Well, I got to tell you, it wasn't all roses, as they like to tell us. Um, you know, the multifamily world for me, uh, what I found out was that um, there was a lot of work involved. It was very tedious, very management intensive. Now. I will say I was buying Class C apartments. They were all, you know, pre-70 construction. They were all in uh, Class C neighborhoods. Uh, they were all projects that needed rehab in one sense or another. Uh, typically, that was going in and rehabbing a unit, rehabbing the exterior, you know, putting in the CapEx dollars to really take it from a Class C asset to, you know, let's say a Class B asset. The problem was is that I would buy this apartment building. 
I put in all new exterior windows and siding and landscaping and, you know, parking. I would seal coat, stripe the parking lot, fill all the potholes. Uh, you know, I'd do everything. If I needed to do a new roof, whatever it was, we would come in and do it. The, and then 12 months to 18 months later, my apartment complex looked like when I bought it. The people would come in there. They would beat the hell out of it. Mm. Um, they would, um, you know, you'd go in and put ten, twenty thousand $20,000 a unit uh, uh, in upgrades. And, um, you know, the turnover was, you know, the, the turnover just cost you an arm and a leg. I mean, sometimes that, there went your cash flow for, you know, a month or two, depending on how many move outs there were, the incentives, that, the incentives that you had to, uh, you know, to, to bring in new tenants. And we're talking, you know, 2010 to 2015 is when, when I was primarily doing that. Um, so the economy was a little different than it is today. Today, um, it's more of a, you know, landlord's market than it is a tenant's market. Back then, you know, you really had to be striking deals. You had to be aggressive. You had to, um, you really had to get, you know, people in the door and, and, and keep them. So, um, from my standpoint, uh, I just got really burnt out of doing multifamily and not to say it's, it's not a great asset class. And if you've got a really good operation and I think if you're buying the right type of assets, the right, the right locations, um, that makes all the difference. And, and age, I think age makes a big difference too, especially on your expense to income ratio, because um, that'll fluctuate tremendously from 60s product to 90s product. Uh, and so anyways, I, I ended up um, uh, buying all these apartment units. I had uh, an investor of mine that owned only commercial and he owned a lot of commercial. He owned um, you know, retail, industrial, office, a mixed bag of, of different stuff. And one day I asked him, I said, why don't you invest in multifamily? And he goes, and he's an older guy. He's in his late fifties. And he said to me, Danny, I don't want to work that hard. I'll let you <laughs> go invest in them or you go buy them and manage them and I'll invest in you. But I, in my own portfolio, I don't buy them. I used to buy them back in the day, um, but I don't do that anymore. And a light, went, a light bulb went off in my head and I said, well, that's weird. Why, why don't, why why? Tell me more. And he goes, Danny, I only like dealing with triple net leases. And I'm like, well, what's that? I didn't even know at the time. Um, and basically he turned me on to commercial, uh, basically a triple net lease is where your tenant pays for your taxes, your insurance, and your common area maintenance. Meaning that if, if anything goes wrong in the unit, let's say the plumbing backs up, they're not calling the landlord. They're calling the plumber and getting it fixed themselves. If they have a leaky roof, we will come fix it, but we bill it back to the tenant. Uh, when we get our tax bill, whether it goes up or it goes down, the tenant pays for that. So if it goes up, it doesn't really matter to me as a landlord because it's going back to the tenant for them to reimburse us to pay it. Same thing with insurance. Um, and then all of your common area maintenance, your landscaping, your parking lot, your your siding, your roofing, your, your monument signage, your, you know, what you name it, it's on the tenant, not on the landlord. So that is the beauty of triple net leases. And then the other thing that I absolutely love about commercial real estate, true commercial, which I'm, I'm talking more in the sense of triple net leases is uh, that your tenants are going to sign typically five, seven, 10, 20 year leases. To me, that is stable cash flow, especially if it's a solid tenant, right? So, you come in, you sign a, you know, a 10 year deal. I just signed a 15 year deal with a, with a, a national uh, uh, athletic club and uh, they're taking 40,000 square feet. They've got $130 million balance sheet. I can tell you, I sleep a lot better knowing that that tenant's paying 
than the guy that can barely make rent every month, right? He shows up and he's every month got an excuse why he can't pay rent or, hey, I only have half or, you know, this or that, or, you know, every, it's they're beating up your unit and you've got to pay to remodel it. You've got to pay to fix it up every time someone leaves. And so I just got really sick of that in the multifamily and really fell in love with the, with the triple net lease side of the business when, when I was exposed to it. And so, um, you know, to date, we've been doing mostly um, turnaround value add shopping centers, industrial buildings, office buildings, medical buildings, um, some pad site and land development stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a different world and it's a different, um, it's definitely diff different uh, from the standpoint of like the asset classes, how it works with a lease, like a lease in multifamily is there, it's all standard across the board. Every lease from one apartment building to the next is almost identical. There might be a few little things here and there that are different, but with commercial, every lease could be totally different and it's all negotiable. And they're typically anywhere from 20 to I've had leases up to 60 pages long, you know? So I mean, they're, they're very strategic. They're very long. I call it brain damage. Like the, the triple net leases and negotiating these deals is definitely brain damage, but it's fun because everyone's different. You have to think hard. You have to, you have to, it, I mean, a lease can take you um, anywhere from two weeks uh, to, to a year to actually get to the, to the finish line. Like right now I'm working with Camping World on a lease and um, I'm already six months in and I still don't have a signed lease done with them. But, you know, I, I got a feeling it's going to get done here pretty soon. So, you know, it's just one of those things that, um, some people don't want to work that hard to get a lease, but when I land camping world, that's a really solid company that's going to be at my property for probably the next 10 to 20 years at least. And that's going to be guaranteed income and that's going to be a corporate guarantee. So going through those motions creates a ton of value, a ton of equity in the properties that we purchase. And, uh, and that's why I love commercial. You can buy one, one lease could create um, I'll, I'll just give you a quick example uh, on how much money one lease can create. I did this lease with, with the athletic club that I told you about, and I'm just grabbing my calculator here. They signed 40,000 square feet at $14 triple net. So that their yearly income is $560,000 that they're going to pay me, not including their CAMs, which is their common area maintenance fee. So that's probably another 100000 or so. But on that 560,000, depending on the cap rate for the area, uh, will give us the value of the of the value of this lease. So it's a seven cap area. That is eight million dollars in value for that one lease. One lease, eight million dollars. That's how much that the value of that that deal is. I bought the property for four million. Oh, so nice. that can give you an idea of the value of what one lease can do in commercial real estate. It's a very, very beautiful thing. So I just doubled the value of what I, I paid for the building. Wow. So I can see in that though, you have a, a long time to find a tenant and you need to have a lot of confidence when you go in to buy that this is going to be a leasable property if it's if you're buying it empty. So how do you prepare to handle the the cost of just owning the building without a tenant in it? Because you're going to, that's six months of paying your note and keeping the building up and, and all of those things, keeping it looking nice so that people want to, to rent the property. So how do you handle that in the business? Okay. So on this deal specifically, this was a deal in Denver and uh, it's a very hot area. It's got really long, uh, big traffic counts. So when you go into retail, 
specifically, you want to look at the demographics, right? What is your rooftop densities? What are your traffic counts? Um, you know, what are the, uh, what is the incomes of the area? You know, is it lower income, middle income, higher income? So you're going to look at all these, these different factors. You're going to see who are all the national tenants that are within that retail corridor. And in it, is there a gap of people that are missing, of tenants that should be there that aren't there? So you, what we did is we found this vacant Safeway. They had just left the market, but um, uh, we knew that there was a vote. We pulled the void analysis and it said, look, you're missing a health club. You're missing, a, you, know, um, you know, whatever it was. There was a list of different type of tenants that, that could fill that space. It wasn't in that immediate retail corridor. So we reached out, we, we went under contract. I had 90 days of due diligence. During that 90 days of due diligence, I reached out to um, several of the top brokers in the area. I had five letter of intents from, from tenants that wanted to occupy the space. Planet Fitness, uh, Choose Fitness, uh, I had athletic, some athletic club, I had um, a gun range, I had uh, a swim school, um, so I had all these LOIs on the table, and this is while I was in due diligence, so I could still walk away from the deal if I didn't want to move forward. But at the end of the day, I had so much interest that I knew that this was a really strong area, number one. It, it, the tenants were there. They were ready to go, number two, and I knew what the lease rates were, and I knew that I could create, I could create a lot of value in the deal if I, if I was able to move forward with it. So um, I didn't actually sign the lease during due diligence, but I signed LOIs so that way we could start the process of going through those leases. Now, I bought it in June of last year, and I think I signed my first lease. It, it, it's 65,000 feet, so I, I actually have two tenants in there. Um, one's an athletic club for 40,000, and then a swim school for 17,000, and then I've got about 7,000 left over. But um, it took me probably three or four months after I closed the property to actually commence those leases. So from the time we went under, uh, you know, into LOI, you know, it was a good three to six months um, until we got to the to the finish line on those leases. But I created a ton of value, um, and it ended up working out great. But you want to know that stuff before you go in and buy, you know, a deal like this. You want to make sure the interest is there. You want to make sure that that it's the type of area that you know tenants want to be in. So you need to know those things uh, pretty much by hand. I mean, I can imagine this takes a lot of looking at deals. I mean, just like anything is taking, you have to look at a lot of deals these days to find the good ones. So you need to know the metrics that you're looking for. Either you mentioned traffic count or, or maybe the, the lease rate per square foot or something like that so that you can narrow your, say, first 100 deals down to 20 deals you want to dig into deeper and then narrow that 20 down from there. Or, or what does your initial kind of search algorithm look like when you're figuring out which deals you really want to dig into and go so down I've that got, LOI hunt. I've got two algorithms and I call it having two different buckets. I have one bucket that's my fix it, fill it and flip it model. And one's my find it, fix it, flip, uh, fill it up and hold it model, which is, so you've got one that's creating liquidity and one that's creating cash flow. And every deal's a little bit different. You never at the end of the day know, you know, if you're buying a value add deal that's, let's say, completely vacant or 50% vacant. And I typically don't go buy a 100% vacant building. I'll buy something that's got 20 to 50% vacancy, right? So let's say I buy a 
20,000 square foot shopping center and 10,000 square feet is filled up by, you know, a couple tenants. Maybe it's got an all state and a nail salon in a dance studio and your local barber and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's got a bunch of vacancy. What I'll do is I'll say, okay, this deal makes sense. Depending on the area, I'll say, this is a great deal to come in, fix it up. So I'll do the facade, I'll do the parking lot, do monument signage, I'll go to all the tenants and I'll offer them tenant improvement dollars to renew their leases. Um, maybe I'll give them free rent for a couple months. Uh, and, then I'll, and then I'll offer that to the, the community as well. So like I'll go to the, hire the top leasing agent for, in the area for that type of asset class, that type of product. And uh, we get really aggressive. Hey, look, we're offering in tenant improvement dollars. We can do uh, turnkey suites. We could do, you know, build the suit. Whatever the need is, we'll do it for, uh, you know, qualified tenants. And depending on who we land, if we get a bunch of national tenants, if it's that type of area where, you know, hey, you've got your Verizon and your, you know, your Starbucks and your, uh, you know, your, your, your really high quality tenants in there, maybe that's a really good long-term hold, right? Because it's got corporate guarantees with, you know, $100 million or billion dollar companies that are backing the lease that they signed for your center. Uh, those are good long-term holds. But if it's a bunch of mom and pops, which is fine, it's just that in a downturn, you may say, hey, I don't know if, you know, if your dance studio is going to make it. Maybe, you know, for this area and the demographics and the income levels, that if, you know, if we were to go into uh, a recession, they might not be able to pull through. So maybe it's a good one where you get in, you fix up the building, you fill it up, and then you flip it and make a nice profit. So if you could buy, you know, I just bought one for 700,000, 20,000 square feet deal, and we put 400,000 into it. So we were in for 1.1, and we sold it for 2.5 million on month 14. Wow. So those kind of deals, you go in, you, you're like, look, all I got to do is do what the uh, most owners in commercial real estate don't understand what they're sitting on because a lot of times they <laughs> own it for a long time. They don't want to put any money into it. The tenants come to them and say, Hey, we're willing to lease, but I want, you know, I need $20,000 to build out my space and the landlord doesn't want to contribute to that. So what I do is I come in and I say, absolutely, how can we help you? How can we get you in the door and how can we make you successful? And, and then on top of that, if I'm giving a, a contribution, let's say it's $20,000, I'm going to amortize that $20,000 back into the rental rate over the course of the lease. So that really increases my net operating income, which really increases the value of the property. So I love to give tenant improvement dollars to the right tenants, to the right people with the right balance sheets. Absolutely all day long because it just adds more value to my deals. And a lot of times I'll find a center where, you know, they're paying, let's say $10 a square foot rents because the landlord didn't want to get, contribute in any tenant improvement or rent abatement or whatever it might be. And I come in, I say, well, look, it's actually a $20 a square foot area, right? That's the, that's the base rent, but tenants expect to get those things in, 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 in uh, you know, in correlation. And so I'll say, absolutely bring them in, get them everybody at 20 bucks a foot. What did I just do to the value of my center? I just doubled all the rents. It, I mean, it's pretty obviously that I've created a lot of equity in that deal very quickly. So that's what we're always looking for is we're looking for those value add centers where either rents are below market vacancy, uh, capital improvements uh, are needed. Um, you know, we're looking for that little niche that we can come in and create value for the neighborhood, for the tenants, um, for ourselves. And, uh, it's really a win, win, win. So that's what, that's what we're doing. We're, 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 we're 
I'd say half of our portfolio we're you know flipping, and the other half we're holding. Hmm. So interesting. So something that strikes me is that since you know commercial real estate being valued based on its income, if you're buying a property with a huge amount of vacancy, like you mentioned, the the one of the properties you bought that had a significant amount of vacancy, is that empty space literally valued at zero or is there is an intrinsic value in the property that is factored in like what because a, a completely empty commercial property is not worth zero dollars especially to the tax man so right. you know you're not going to show up and, and get a property for free just because there's nobody in it so when you're going and looking at properties with a lot of vacancy how do you really come up with a a, a good a price that you're going to offer and, and what are sellers expectations, even though, you know, they know they have an empty property. What do they look for uh, in terms of price? Then it's really based on a price per square foot. Um, so like if you have a vacant building, you're going to look at sales comps for vacant properties and vacant properties always go for less on a price per square foot than they do if it were full, right? If you've got a tenant, now we're going off the cap rate based on the income or mm -hmm. the income. Right. So you're, you're, so it's, if you can find vacancy, you're getting a discount for that vacancy. Maybe it's not zero. Sometimes it is zero. I mean, a lot of times I'll go to the seller and say, look, I buy on today's value or today's numbers, not on the future projections or the performer. I don't buy on performer. I buy on today's value. So if I'm looking for an eight cap deal, I'm willing to pay you eight, an eight cap on your current income. I don't really care if you have vacancy. I'm not going to give you an eight cap on, on, on <laughs> so, um, so, you know, sometimes you get it and sometimes you have to pay a little bit for it, but you're not going to pay full price. You're not going to pay as if it were full. So if you know that the rents are, you know, a dollar a square foot, um, you may, you know, offer the seller 10 cents a square foot. So you're paying for pennies on the dollar, right? Um, what you know you're going to be able to get. Okay. That's something I've always wondered because even in the multifamily uh, world, we do see a lot of people, at least a lot of sellers trying to sell on pro forma or, you know, they say, well, it's, it's, you know, once you fix it up, it'll be worth 2 million and they're trying to sell it for 2 million. I get it. <laughs> yeah. It's not worth 2 million today, man. It's like somebody's got to put the work in. Exactly. No. And again, you just got to educate your, your sellers. Right. And, and a lot of times, look, they'll go out there they, you know, their brokers sell them the dream that, yeah, we can sell this. You know, if you fix up five of your hundred units, now I can sell the dream. I, trust me, I know all the tricks in the game. And, uh, you know, maybe there's someone out there willing to buy it. You, you know, you never know until you go out there and try. But if, if, if they've been sitting out there for a few months and no one's uh, is biting on that hook, then a seller is going to hopefully get realistic, right? And they're going to say, well, I guess no one really wants to buy the dream. I guess I got to sell it on based on today's numbers. And so... <laughs> You know, a lot of deals um, I find, um, you know, have been out there for a little while or, you know, they've tried to get a higher price and now, um, now they're, they're, they're realizing that, yeah, I'm not going to get what I thought I was going to get. And so um, they're willing to play ball. And sometimes you're willing to pay a little more, right? So let's say you're like, man, I'm not going to pay you full value for that vacancy, but I'll pay you 50% if, if you give me really good seller financing terms, right? So I want to get in really light. Number one, right? Let's say it's a million dollars. I'm going to give you 50,000 down. Um, you're going to carry the note at 4% interest only for five years. I'll probably pay you off in one or two. Um, and, uh, and, and maybe it works that way. So they, you know, they get, if you ever heard the term, 
uh, your price, my terms, my price, your terms, whatever. It's uh, you can definitely go about it from that standpoint, and I've done that a lot too. Interesting. I, I don't think I've ever heard that phrase before, but I like it. Yeah, it's, it works. <laughs> okay, so while we have you, I also wanted to touch on industrial. This is something that I've heard about. I know I know people who in, in you know friends who invest in industrial uh, real estate, but it just it's so like it's such a blanket term that. I don't know how to how to even get started and it's not some something that there's a lot of people out there talking about so you know are the basics kind of the same to the 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 uh retail in terms of what you look for and and you know leasing a place up and and all that and trying to get by to something of a discount or you know what does that business look like yeah so the reason i like like small bay light flex industrial is because that's really all of your general tradesmen's right they're all your, your local your local tradesmen's like your electricians your plumbers your contractors your flooring guys your you know etc cetera, etc cetera. like these guys that are going they need a little bit of warehouse space and a little bitty office with a bathroom right so the office is their administration um and then they've got all their you know all their supplies and their you know all their all their uh, all their uh, everything that they need to keep in the warehouse, their trucks, et cetera, et cetera, and um, and so you know these people tend to um, you know work no matter if it's a recession or not, right? I mean you, you're always going to have plumbing issues, electrical issues. You're going to have you know snow plowing guys and you know et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so the way that I the reason I like these deals is that you can go in a lot of times and you find them where they're way below market rate rents. The, the people that own them typically own these things a long time. Like a lot of my sellers um, have owned these industrial buildings for 10, 20, 30 years. They just seem to hold them. And there's a reason. Um, industrial is the least management intensive asset class out of you name it. Uh, apartments, office, retail, um, you know, construction, uh, storage, you name it. It's seriously, it is just easy. There's not much to do. I own a lot of industrial and <laughs> I don't spend hardly any time having to manage them because there's just nothing to do. And the other beautiful thing is um, there's not a lot of money to put back into them. Like with apartments, holy cow, that it just, it bugged me so much how much I'd have to put back into the, the apartments uh, when I own them. It was like, you know, I'd fix a unit up for 20 grand and then a year later, that same unit needed another, you know, seven grand because the, the, the previous owners messed up the new flooring that I put in and they, you know, crammed all over the wall. So I got to paint the whole thing again. And they busted the, uh, you know, the, all the light fixture, whatever it might be, right? They just, it just, you have to put all this money back into it. In industrial, what are you dealing with? It's usually either concrete or metal. It's one of the two. You've got a slab and it's a box. That's all it is. It's so, it, there's nothing there. Uh, when tenants come in, they don't really expect any tenant improvement dollars. So they don't come in and say, well, I'll take the space if, you know, if you paint the walls white and, you know, you, 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 you put up, you know, uh, you know, this here and that there and, you know, put some windows over here. It doesn't work that way. They walk in and say, okay, this fits. I'll take it. It's like, at, you know, it's kind of like storage space. They're not going to come in there and tell you, uh, they're only going to say what size they need. Do I need a 10 by 10 or a 10 by 20? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's pretty standard from that standpoint. So really easy from that point. And right now in today's economic environment, industrial has never been stronger. The, the vacancies have um, literally 
uh, across the nation uh, been at their lowest point in 50 years. I mean, industrial is doing so good because of the economic policies in place, um, manufacturing coming back, all the e-commerce. So what you don't realize is that for every, I can't remember what the exact statistic was, but it was like for every, uh, I think it was for every billion dollars of retail sold, um, you need uh, like 100,000 square feet, or no, no, sorry, what was it? Um, maybe 100 million square feet of industrial within like a five mile radius. I, I can't remember what the metric was, but it's huge. Like all this retail, it, it starts off in a, you know, e-commerce um, scenario where it's going to a facility first, then it's going to uh, either someone's house or to a retail location. So you don't realize that when you're, you know, next to Target, a lot of that stuff is sitting over in a warehouse, not that far away, right? And that's why all these Amazon fulfillment centers are popping up all over the place. And, um, you know, it's the same thing. You, 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 if you have these spaces well located, um, rents have never been, the, been higher. So what I'm finding a lot is you'll find these owners that have owned for a long time and the rents are so low, but the rents have really ramped up over the last decade. And uh, there's a lot of value to be made and a lot of, a lot of good tenants that come in. Like we just signed a, a deal with uh, Ferguson, which, you know, they're the largest uh, HVAC company in the Southwest. Enormous. And, uh, yeah. They, uh, they signed a five-year deal on 27,000 square feet at one of my centers, you know, right in Arizona. I mean, what kind of, what better tenant do you want in Arizona? You want a, an HVAC company because it's hot there, right? So you know that they're always going to do good there no matter what good times are bad. So, uh, you know, I just really, really like industrial. I mean, it's a great asset class. Um, I really, really like it. You've got to buy right. You've got to buy it for a low price per square foot. You always want to buy below replacement costs and uh, buy in the right areas. Again, you don't have to have the traffic counts or the visibility like you do with retail, but you have to have the right demographics. You have to be in the right areas where there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of uh, rooftop density where you're, be, you're able to supply those people with you know, with either your, your local tradesmen's or with your e-commerce product. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So if it sounds like it's kind of a similar value add strategy to uh, retail is you're going to find some place that's under leased or underused and, and find a tenant essentially place them in it and then boom, there's your value add. And then you hang on to that property for decades because they tend to produce good cash flow. Is that and they're just easy. They're just easy. Yeah, they produce cash flow. A lot of them can be cash cows. And they just, I mean, there's not much to do. You know, they're really, I mean, maybe on your small, like, if you, the smaller you go, closer to like storage, you have a lot of people coming in and coming out, right? They're there for uh, moving from one house to another. So they rent for a couple months or maybe up to a year, maybe sometimes longer. But like on your smaller, you know, 500 to 2,000 square feet, you know, those tend to be, probably the more management intensive uh, tenants on industrial because you know, they're, they're, they're moving, they're just more, more likely to move around. And, um, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, you know, you got your auto mechanics. So a lot of times they're putting all their stuff in there. You got storage guys that are just, Hey, I want to store some nice cards or I got, you know, files from 50 years ago and I'm a hoarder. So I'm just going to put it in you know, <laughs> uh, get me a, le- a little small bay warehouse. Uh, I mean, you just see everything and there's just not a lot of damage that really happens to them. You know, there's typically, again, you just got four, four walls and a roof and a slab. That's it. You know, sometimes there's a, a small little office area and maybe a, maybe a bathroom, you know? Interesting. So, so I'm kind of curious in the, in this, as we get deeper and deeper into commercial real estate, it gets 
more and more opaque, more and more difficult for someone to get started. And while you didn't uh, get your start in commercial real estate, you started by getting into residential and then progressing your way there. What are your thoughts about it for someone who's interested? How would you recommend they get started if they want to get into commercial real estate, true commercial, as you, as you say? Get educated. I mean, I can't tell you there are so many people that want to get into this space. They don't know what they're doing. They go out and buy a deal and they just get slaughtered. I mean, it's just because you can, you can make a lot of money in this business, but you can lose a lot of money if you don't know what you're doing. So, you know, we try and tend to be the guys buying uh, right and buying from, unfortunately, people just who didn't know what they were doing and they're just trying to get out. Um, so get educated, um, you know, find a good mentor, uh, find people that have done it, um, hang around those people, make sure you really understand it's a totally different language than multifamily or residential, it really is. So um, I don't, you know, you don't just go out there and do it, you, you really should. Uh, find find some education behind it. I mean, like for me, I'm part of a mastermind group that I've been part of for the last seven years now uh, with the Commercial Property Academy. Um, J. Scott Shield has been a great mentor for me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's finding the right group, the right people to be around. Like there's a lot of uh, masterminds uh, revolved around residential, uh, revolved around multifamily. And so if that's what you want to do, that's the perfect place you should be, right? You should be in that group. You should be around those peers. For me, I'm around guys that are only doing retail, industrial, office, and development. Like that's, and I'm, I'm not in the multifamily world so much anymore. So I'm not in that mastermind. I'm in the one that I'm specifically focused in, in that, in that category, in that asset class. Interesting. It's, I find it interesting that the, uh, or, or instructive or whatever, that the, advice for someone who wants to get into commercial uh, real estate like you do is very similar to the advice that anybody who wants to get into any kind of real estate is get educated, get a mentor, learn the ropes before you jump in and lose a bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> you can lose a lot of money in any asset class, right? I mean, you can go buy a house and if you buy the, the big, the biggest, nicest house on the block, you're probably not doing so good. You want to buy the ugliest duckling on the block and then hopefully you'll probably do good, right? But if you don't know that, if you think, hey, doesn't it, in some sense, it might make sense. Hey, let's just go buy the nicest one. That, that seems like a good idea, but it's, it typically it's not. So <laughs> you, want to, you want to be around the right, the right group and people who know, uh, know how, to, how to make money in these, uh, in these different asset classes. Yeah, absolutely. So right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Danny, I got three questions. I ask every guest at the end of the show. Are you ready? Yes. All right. First one, what is the best investment that you ever made? Best investment I ever made. Um, let's see. I bought a deal on 10X, uh, which is an auction platform um, in Denver. It was a flex industrial building that we bought for three and a half million. Uh, got 100% financed on it and uh, sold it on month 13 for seven and a quarter million. Whoa. That was good. That was a good day. 100% financed by an institution, not by the seller? Uh, by a lender of mine. He liked the deal so much, uh, and he knew that I just bought it absolutely right. Uh, so we financed 100%. So I had $0 in the deal, and we netted three and a half million, and, and like I said, in, less, in about 13 months. So, nice. 
On the other side of that, we have the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Ooh, back to the multifamily days. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I bought a 138-unit uh, apartment complex. Uh, the sellers did a pump and dump on me uh, where they basically filled up the rent roll with unqualified tenants that weren't really paying rent, so they gave me falsified uh, documentation, uh, P&Ls, and um, uh, 90 days after I closed on the property, I was supposed to be cash flowing 10,000 a month. I was negatively cash flowing about 25 to 30,000 um, a month. So you can imagine uh, what that did. That was really uh, that was really some dark days, but we uh, we were able to uh, turn the property around in about a year. We uh, we took the physical occupancy back from 60% to about 92, 93%. I bought it for 3.6 million and we sold it on two years later for uh, 4.9 million. So me and my partner still made a 33% return on investment, but it was the worst, the worst uh, investment I had bought to date. So uh, we still made good money. So it's, wow. still, it's still a good ending at the end, you know, at the end of the day. But it sounds like a lot of heartache along the way. So it's very, very, very difficult, but uh you know, when you're determined and you roll up your sleeves and again, going back to having people around you that uh, can help you and mentor you uh, to give you the right advice, um, it's, it's invaluable. Nice. Nice. I like that. Last question. My favorite one. What is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Most important lesson that I've learned is get good at what you do. I mean, you've got to be the best of the best. You've got to learn every day. You've got to educate every day. You've got to build the right team around you, have the right mentors, the right partnerships, um, build a really world-class habits. I mean, you have to. If you want to be really successful, you got to build world-class habits. So Nice. Nice. I like that. We'll let that one sink in. All right. I love it. Danny, thank you for joining us today. If uh, folks want to learn more about you, more about your business, where can they get in touch? Absolutely. I'd love for anyone to reach out. If you have any questions, would love to partner. I always joint venture. If you have deals, I'm willing to look at them. Uh, you can go to my website, valueinvestmentgroup.com, or you can uh, just shoot me an email at newberrydanny at gmail.com. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-R-Y-D-A-N-N-Y at gmail.com. And again, would love to chat with you. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for today. Thank you for tuning in for our interview with Danny Newberry. Fascinating subjects. There is a lot of potential upside in this realm of industrial and retail real estate investing. So thank you, Danny, for bringing that to us. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. Helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone out there who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.